Building better players. Building better games. This is playing the role. Welcome back to Playing the Role. I'm Nathan Stone with Darcy Robinson and Dylan and Joseph Campbell. And gentlemen, today we're talking about death. The death of campaigns. And not only campaign death, but the tragic, tragic young deaths of so many campaigns. I know we've all seen the stats. We've all seen that a lot of campaigns don't make it past a session or two. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about why that happens and maybe some ways to avoid it. So to start us off today, let's go and uh, talk about what is happening with us before we break down uh, all this death and all this dying. So Before we literally break down and cry. Yeah, it's just going to be an hour of us crying about <laughs> games that we wish had gone on. Uh, so new and noteworthy here. Television 8 News presents Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. The headlines tonight. Dungeon Master and Hobgoblins, Dwarves, Elves, and Havelings. New and noteworthy. For me, I'll start because I don't really have a whole lot going on, but I have started putting, uh, I want to say pen to paper, but no one does that anymore. I, I just type notes, but that doesn't sound as cool as pen to paper uh, for Miss Atomic Bomb, sad. <laughs> the, the game that I'm working on. So it's kind of fun. I, I love making those initial notes because for a long time, games usually live in my head for months and months and months before I'll start writing anything down. And then when I start writing them down, I'll immediately think of all the things I haven't thought of yet, which is kind of nice, but also a little bit annoying. Exactly. But, and by that point, it's like something far different than what you started with on that. I feel that so freaking much, dude. And I always come across the question of how many notes do I make before I do character creation? Because my notes are always going to change with character creation because I want to bring aspects of those characters into the game that I'm creating. So it's kind of a balancing act, I find, between doing too much notes and then having to go back and make changes when I get a better sense of who the characters are and then maybe not fleshing it out enough and then feeling like I go into character creation with a bit of a uh, still a, a, a wild nebulous idea so how do you guys find that do you do you like to do a lot of of planning beforehand I know Dylan you you're an unstoppable machine. Actually, for character creation, I agree with you that the characters will shape a lot of the game. And so before what I write is enough to fake that it looks like a lot more than what it is. So they think they can ask anything. I think they can. And about like 40% of it is just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's 100% a thing. He's very good at that illusion. <laughs> and I'm typing it while they talk, and they have no idea. For you guys, of course, I would never do that. No, never, perish once. the thought. <laughs> I mean, you, the, the joy is you can never tell, right? And uh, half of this, half of any tabletop game is improv. It's all improv, Absolutely. Baby. And yeah. if you think you can't do improv, you can, because watch you do it on the spot when you're like, oh, yeah, that mountain always been there and never was destroyed. 
Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I go in when I think I think I have an idea, but I know they'll think I really have an idea, and then they'll do a lot of the work for me. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer. What about you, Darcy? I am kind of of the opinion that when somebody asks how many notes should you take, my answer is yes. Uh, I I am a vapid note taker to the point where I probably write too much. I I, I make so many different things that you could put in there, and I still end up writing so much more than what I anticipated uh, once character creation has set in. And then I'm like, oh, I could do this with this person. I could do this with this person. Oh, and there's all the other things that I want to do in here, too. Hmm. And by the end of it, I guess it, it all depends on, like, as you guys have said, like, the direction that the players want to go. But on the off chance that people want to go someplace else, usually I will have something prepared for that as a little bit of a... (laughs) Contingency plan? Exactly. But generally, when I make something, I end up either going too hard with it or or suddenly I find that I haven't got enough and kind of... uh, take it on the fly depending on what the players do uh and then like write a bunch between sessions depending on what that happens but there's also like things that i simply write that's like okay i need like affection uh let me let me flesh out like 21 freaking notable members of this Oh my god! Okay, that's a bit excessive, Darcy. <laughs> that's a little wild. I mean, I like I like doing that kind of stuff. That's the thing, though, right? If it's if you enjoy it, then there's no harm in doing it. It's just it's funny to to hear you say that because when to me, like I I like to make I would say fairly detailed notes about things that are absolutely critical to my game, but then the stuff that's kind of to the sides, right? That I'm going to probably leave a little bit more to, to improv or, you know, spur of the moment ideas. So I love, I love the fact though, that you're just like, okay, so under the sub lieutenants, we have these guys. And then like, and you know, I'm just picturing this entire web of of (laughs) interconnected notes. That's what I'm dealing with right now. I'm legitimately dealing with this right now because it's like, I made a singular you make a singular character who's like a noteworthy figure, and then it's like, well, of course he would have, if he's a noteworthy figure, people would want to follow him. Okay. And then people would want to follow those people. And suddenly that's where <laughs> you get yourself a whole freaking interwoven society that's scattered throughout the entire nation. Here's here's the thing about overwriting. It's not there's no such thing as overwriting. But that game you're writing can't die if it never starts. Oh, See, you gotta think yeah. here. Oh. Really? That is that is an excellent segue, which I would use to just propel us into the main part of our discussion. If I hadn't just derailed our new and noteworthy with rhetorical questions about world building and writing. Uh, so Dylan Joseph Campbell. That's my name. New and noteworthy. Yeah. I've been playing Baldur's Gate, baby. <laughs> basically, it's basically like any other tabletop game, except it's not on tabletop and it's a video game. But it's Baldur's Gate, and it's D&D, the video game. It's Baldur's Gate. To, to, to make this related about 
uh, tabletop gaming, though. Are there things, ideas, or even mechanics that you're planning on lifting from Baldur's Gate for your game? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's, there's one thing I really like that Baldur's Gate does, and that it's, it's use of verticality and positioning. Uh, I always find whenever I describe something, I never give it the true height or depth I really want it to. Because, I don't know, I, I'm used to, like, a, I'm, I'm a, I need a map, I need a visual guide, I need 3D terrain, you guys know that. And so, in my head, a lot of the scenarios, they're flat. They're not, right? I draw canyons and, and crevasses, but it's hard to get that depth across. So, Baldur's Gate has been like, oh no, you can be pushed into that canyon and instantly die. That's not something I implement. What I do like about it is, if you have high ground over someone, which is 10 or more feet... You get a plus two to your to hit. You just it and if you're on low ground, a minus two. It just your positioning matters and your height matters. And I'm like, I like that. You underestimate the power of the people on the low ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's 110 hours, still not in the game. Hey, waka waka. <laughs> uh, I have an online game, which I've kind of thrown to a bit more bi-weekly. Because now that I'm back in Halifax, I have a lot of physical games I want to get back to. A lot of them. Mother of the Sea, Sanguine Ordeal, Star of Ruination. Maybe not all at once, but I'd like to get back to all of them at some point. That's me. I agree. I would like to get back to those too. Dylan, not only do you have to do it all at once, but it it has to be like a uh, sitcom where you're on like two dates at once, except you're you're GMing three games at once, and you just have to be keep running through the to the different rooms where you have your players and they can't know <laughs> about each other. I like to imagine Please? that while he's doing that, he's also like quickly changing costumes. And like, oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> putting on a different hat each time like, just to keep the uh, keep conspicuous <laughs> yeah he's got a different robe and wizard hat for each game and he has to just keep throwing them on and off and yeah. he's gonna get confused <laughs> about which game he's in it's gonna make it even worse because darcy's in two of your games he's gonna have yeah, to drag yeah. darcy with you he has to be well in that's on why it. the disguise is necessary it's like all the while all the while i'm there too like also putting on a disguise and whatnot, just like, okay, he's gone. I gotta get to this other game, which it's actually, and, and we don't know it's each other. <laughs> and, and you're on like a little swivel seat, Darcy. So you just, you kind of flip, I flip you around. You have no idea. You're like, what, what just happened? I'm like, you've yeah, been here yeah. all along. It's like, oh, right. You don't remember? <laughs> oh, that's, some, that's some hardcore gaslighting. I like that. <laughs> all right, Darcy, what is, what is new and noteworthy with you? It's kind of funny you mentioned Baldur's Gate 3 because I've suddenly seen a lot of the content creators that I follow start to play Baldur's Gate 3. Um, So I've actually seen quite a bit of it myself. And it's a lot lot more extensive than I thought. Play with me. Buy it. Play with me. Play Baldur's Gate 3 with me. You too, Nathan. Please. There is not enough time in the world. If I was 15 years younger... I could probably pull it off. <laughs> oh, but on, uh, but honestly, it's been it's been an interesting time seeing the different decisions that other people make and how it affects the story that much. I actually really like it. Um but uh and it's been a little bit of uh 
a good thing because it's it's something to fill the void while I'm on a bit of a hiatus from all of the other games that I'm a part of right now due to various reasons. While on the one hand, it's like I'm kind of okay with taking a with taking a break from some of the things I'm a part of, but on the flip side, it's like, oh, I don't even have my own game to run right now, which is kind of weird. Well, I feel kind of bad for it because I realized that the last thing I left my players with is like, oh, one of our players died. It's just a cliffhanger. It's, it's good. It's good. Also, you, you did set them up for a ton of drama. So I, I don't think you left them in a bad spot. I think you just left them in an interesting spot. So Oh, that drama's going to boil. You know what? I've set it on freaking Simmer. And it's like, it's it's going to like... It's going to boil to a point, and by the time that we reconvene, it's going to all come out. I can just feel it. And the one player... You might not have to talk next game. I suspect maybe not. Uh, I'm meeting up with the one player that doesn't know that we have uh, <laughs> that we have a death. Um, he just got back. So, like, I've been trying... I've been telling my players and, like, reminding myself not to spoil him. Uh, and like, just saying like, oh boy, some, some, a lot of shit happened. You're just, you just gotta wait and see, buddy. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. Speaking of death though, not of players, but of games, we gotta get into this. Listen to me very carefully. It's the discussion. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Listen up. So why do games die young that's the question we're gonna try and answer and and try and suss out some ways that maybe you can avoid this for your own games but the first thing i want to talk about and i think it's probably the most common uh reason that games die young but feel free to disagree with me if you do is scheduling i think scheduling probably plays the biggest role because there's two aspects to scheduling firstly if it's if you've got a big group or if you've just got a hard group to, to schedule, people are busy, it's hard to build momentum for a game, right? And you want to get those first few sessions out of the way. You want people to get invested in the world, in the characters, in just the routine of getting together and, and doing this. And beyond that, there's also the idea of, well, if you can't get two or three games scheduled in a close enough time frame, you know, before the, the the game runs out of steam or it's just, you know, life gets in the way, it, it probably wasn't a good idea with this particular group in the first place. And this could be because of, of one player's scheduling issues or it could be multiple players for whatever reason, or it could be your own as a GM. For whatever reason, this didn't work out like you thought it did. So I, I guess my my ideas on scheduling are that you should really, unless you're going for a very casual schedule, and, and for myself, I tend to. I tend to go for like a once a month type of schedule. Uh, I, I think you really need to make sure your players have the time that you have for it. And, and that being whatever is comfortable for you guys, whether that's weekly, biweekly, monthly. And you kind of got to get that that buy-in beforehand, which I think goes back to to doing that hook, right, that we were talking about last episode. You really want to get them excited about it because if they're excited about it, they can probably make the time unless they've got a really wonky 
schedule, right? See, what you need to do is devise a schedule kind of based around the demographic of your of your uh, party. Um, par exemple, say we got a bunch of fresh young spring chickens like Dylan, and that was the entire that was the entire party. They're probably gonna have more time than most. People in their like twenties will probably have the biggest, uh, the most attention span for this kind of stuff. Go any younger, and like it, it's not so much a scheduling thing as it is interest, more than anything. Like in my teens, usually our sessions fell apart after a single session because. Some people just didn't have the attention span for it and weren't entirely committed. But however, you go in the opposite w direction and suddenly people are going to have less time, but probably more interest because like now people are set. People, something along the lines of Nathan's age, have a lot more stuff going on in their lives and need something to unwind. But Scheduling becomes a little more of a pain. That being said, it all, also all depends on what kind of schedule they have. Some people only get their schedules weekly, and that's a pain. I'm dealing with one of those in one of my own games where everybody else is like, oh, I'm completely free all the time. <laughs> but then there's like, there's, there's going to be outliers in all of that, obviously. But generally, you kind of got to base your scheduling around that kind of thing around the, the demographic. And sometimes people can get burnt out if you do too much. Sometimes things will just die if, they, if they're done not often enough. You can't expect teenagers, for example, to, uh, to be able to sit down once a month and do this kind of stuff. They'll forget everything. Uh, <laughs> you can't expect older folks like, to sit down once a week because they don't have the time. As a younger folk, Darcy, and as somebody who started DMing not too long ago, 16, 17, in high school, I think I have to disagree uh, on folks' attention span during that time and how, with at least my group, my first group I ever ran, group of high schoolers, my friends, not more, 16, 17, they latched onto this and would not let go. Group of really? people got together after school once a week for three years to play D&D. &D. That's my experience, though, right? That Maybe I found, like, the, the, the needle in the haystack, you know, the, the golden goose egg. There it is. Found some gold, but that's fascinating, because, like... These are people, for my own group of friends, I would see these people, like, every day at school. We would talk. And when it came to, like, want to sit down and play a game, like, yeah, we'd be all gung-ho about it one day, and then some people would just be like, eh, I don't feel like it. They wouldn't say that, obviously, but, like, yeah, no. It, it was very inconsistent. So maybe, maybe my friend group was weird. There Probably, were a few hiccups. That's not to say it was perfect. You're right. Some people, you know, sitting down, we had longer sessions, four to six hours. 
some people get a little antsy. Some people need some stimuli, right? Other than just sitting there and talking. And over the time, we would accommodate for that. I think I, I need something to fidget with is very helpful for that, especially when you have younger folk at your table and you want to retain their attention. Uh, but as the years went on, scheduling did become a little more difficult for that many folk because as high school's ending, people are getting jobs, people are moving away, and sometimes you have to let a player go, right? You have to, people, it's like, oh, there they go. And I'm a strong believer of regardless of your age, regardless of what you do, right? What you work. So long as you have a bare minimum, say you have a table of four, I say so long as even two players can make it, the show goes on. To keep engagement, to keep scheduling, to keep people coming, even beyond your session zero, your session one, when everyone meets, you, in, like you said, Nathan, you ingrain it in their head to show up here every single week. And you don't have to miss something important, right? If you have two players, write a silly little side game or have some heart-to-heart roleplay moments. But regardless, the show goes on. Unless, of course, you have a one-person session. And two in which case... No, it doesn't. It, sorry, that's your, your one guy's gone. Walk away. Oh, waka. hey, where did all these other people go? Where's my party? <laughs> I really wish that my friends had the same mentality that you do on that. I really do. It's it's how, in my opinion, it's how I've kept my games going for three plus years. And I think a good instance of me not doing this in recent times is uh, a game I ran and wish to run again called Sanguine Ordeal, who for the purposes of this episode, I will be unfortunately labeling as a sort of like pseudo-dead game. It's not! It's not! Stop it! It's not! It's alive and well! Don't worry, I promise. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But it's a great example of how scheduling really does tear apart something. I took a group of, was it six? Were there six of us? I think it was six. I yep. think it was of you guys six. Right college students who also some of them work and i said let's meet weekly and play D. doesn't work like that anymore kid not high school no siree we got lives and eventually you know i i'd lose some people every session and we we found out workarounds right it's like oh you know put him on a laptop bring him over there you go he's here digitally the audio is terrible the video is terrible but he's I was here on the laptop <laughs> it's he's here nonetheless um <laughs> And, and then I started to cope. I'm like, okay, we can't do weekly, bi-weekly. Okay, we can't do bi-weekly, monthly. Okay, we can't do monthly, <laughs> blue moon. That's when it gets out of your hands and it's yep. like, yeah. dude, do people even spiral. still remember this anymore? But here's the thing, and I am blessed. I am forever blessed with amazing players because I still get text messages. Dylan, who's not me, but another player at the table, messaged me yesterday. He's like, hey, man, glad you're back in town. When are we playing again? Martha, same thing. When are we playing again? Me, Connor, and Gabby are ready. And it's like, this is, you're not gonna, this is not normal. This is not normal that the players are the ones insisting after a year, we want to play again. Despite scheduling, despite work, they're ready. And I'm like, okay, we're done college. Let's do it. That's incredible. We've been trying to get this band together for 
so freaking long and it's never worked out because our schedules have just clashed so freaking much and yet everybody wants to play. It's honestly, that's like miraculous. That's how you know you have a game that shouldn't die. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you, you, you do have something special there. I have to say, I don't have your patience Dylan when it when it comes or not your patience but your tenacity when it comes to keeping these things on life support um I I have had I've had games that I probably should have fought to keep going more and, and I've just kind of let them go because of, of of life things I'll tell you the the last game that I had that died was also while we were in college and this this was a smaller game this was just uh, myself, my wife, and let's say three three other players. So actually, it was four four players, which is the biggest I ever go. Um, but what happened was we started and we did two sessions, and then we got into the Omicron variant of the pandemic, and then uh, one of the players, his wife uh had kind of like a medical emergency and then so it was it was kind of one of those things where like he wasn't going to be available for months and we had it was still in the midst of the pandemic and at school and it was just ugh. so i i let that die and i'm i'm sad that i did but i also didn't really see any way around it at that point and sometimes you just can't right sometimes life or the universe gets in the way and so scheduling becomes, instead of impractical or implausible, it becomes actually impossible. Sometimes the world just says no. It says no, <laughs> yeah. So it, it it is one of those things, but I, I feel like, I feel like, Dylan, if that had been your game, then, like, it would have picked up, like, four or five months later, and, and everything would have been great. I can't let go. I can't let go of games, because I only run games if I really want to, and, uh, and especially if there's a group of players, I... I I suss out a lot of players, and I'm kind of like, are you a kind of player that would be interested in my game? And after a few sessions, like, oh, yeah, you are. And I'm always surprised. <laughs> um, and nice. I will do anything to keep it going. So I lose someone? Sucks to be you. I got other people who want to run a game. It kind of falls apart anyway. You guys are still interested. Let's do something. Yoink. And at that point, it's salvaging what's lost. And then not making it lost. Right. You're you're making kind of a Frankenstein's monster of a game out of like players that you've you've snatched from various places and little little orphan players that you're taking in and, and uh giving them hope. And that's how Mother of the Sea was born. <laughs> that is that is how it was born. <laughs> All right. So moving moving on from scheduling here on to the next reason why games die young uh players and gm engagement so sometimes it will happen that you'll have a bit of a a, a misfire right with a with a game i feel like it it kind of happens less as you get older because you have players and and a group that you've maybe played with before and you kind of know what they like they know what you like uh that kind of thing but it, it, sometimes you will get into scenarios where either the players or yourself as a GM, just you're not engaged for whatever reason you thought this was going to be something different or you thought you were going to maybe just have more fun with it than you are. And 
I think in those cases, what you need to kind of take a step back and, and think about, okay, why isn't this working? like I thought it was going to be working because even when a game fails, you can still kind of learn things from it or maybe you can change it up or, or maybe it's just a a cluster of of personalities. What have you guys found is often the culprit? If you're, if you're having player engagement problems, is it, is it maybe just the player themselves? They're not cut out for this. I know Dylan, you play with a lot of first time players. Is that something you've experienced? So, um, two things. One is to keep engagement up. I always want to make use of our time at the table, because let, let's say I, another recent recent quote unquote game, um, Sanguine Ordeal. I found the pacing of that game was terrible. But you guys were kind of back and forth on it. You're like, no, no, it's fine. And I kind of like, yeah, it is right, uh huh. And it's it's about it's about. Keeping keeping engagement, keeping the story moving, and there are slow games. This is this was not a group for a slow game, and I, I kind of a lot of this time has made me think like, okay, how make how make go fast now, and I and I've just been sort of theory crafting a lot about how I can really improve that when we when we get back going. But to a game which I had going and sort of went going, it, it, it never really stopped. It's my game back in Sydney. Where I had this really good idea after we finished this module, this pre-written book. I'm like, oh, and I'm going to write my own game. And it's going to be like this like paladin in hell sort of like, I think I've told this story. Uh, this adventure through the wastes of Avernus. And it's going to be like Mad Max themed. And I ran it. They did not like it. They were not having fun. And I could kind of tell it because it was a bit of a slog every session. And after a while, it comes down, just be transparent with your table. If you're the GM, or mainly you're the players, you have a voice. You equally have a voice. The GM isn't an overlording, like, I make all the rules. They're a player just as much as you who tells a story just as much as you. And if you're not having fun as a player, or you're not engaged in this, tell them that. And that's what my players did. They say, hey, Dylan Joseph Campbell. This is just kind of like frustrating and not really enjoyable and not what we expected. And it's not like what we once had. And that's tough to hear. That sucks to hear sometimes. But it's like medicine. And you need it. You need it for the longevity of any game. And I said, okay, give me two weeks and I'll go fix it. And I I jury-rigged up this wacky, like, funhouse space adventure, you know, spell jammer, getting back to the material plane, dealing with all sorts of weird, wacky nonsense. And they loved it. They got to do planar travel, and they left hell, and it felt great. And the game, it lived on. I had a conclusion to that story. I sort of, of course, I had to bring back ties to where they came from, because it's not like that part of the game doesn't exist anymore. It's just understated, right? And so I just sort of, like, remember this, here's a closing chapter to that, in a way that's not intrusive to your enjoyment, let's move it's on. Kind of admirable that you managed to that you managed to salvage something that thoroughly. I don't on that. Let go. You yeah, <laughs> you really don't. Uh, any lesser DM would probably just <laughs> would just cut their losses and be like, at best, be like, well, that's it. Sorry, guys. 
this just isn't going to work anymore. And worst case scenario is they write an epilogue saying, and all of you died. The end. Oh, rocks fall. No! <laughs> I was thinking of the, uh, the classic uh, table flip. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. guys don't understand my art. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, was always, that was always my move. Just, yeah. And that's when the players liked the game. They just played it wrong, and I, I would flip the table on them. Oh, God. That. Actually, Nathan, <laughs> you bring up an interesting... Oh, you, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Because that might be something that the DM actually thinks about. It's like, for, from a DM's perspective, it could just be, wait a minute, you're not supposed to do that. You're doing this all wrong. While I myself haven't really had that experience, one of my, uh, one of my other DMs very much has. And having that mentality kind of destroyed him. And caused him to and caused him to break down. And he actually he like I remember like he he actually pulled me aside and like, hey, this isn't what I had planned. He literally said to me, You're not you're not thinking about this puzzle correctly. What do you mean? Uh and of course as a, what, as a player, when you hear that, you're just like, you're telling me that I'm playing wrong. And at that point, it's like, well, my enjoyment is going down. Saying that, how the hell do you want me to play? Like, what, what do you mean? This is my character. This is what I think is going on. And it's a combination of the DM's unwillingness to budge for the player and the player's unwillingness to budge for the DM that just sometimes ends up not working out and ultimately your game dies and that to me sounds like a problem i mean that sounds like mostly a, D a dm problem but it, it sounds like a problem of expectations around the game like your your gm pro had very clear expectations of you but he didn't tell you what those expectations were so even if you had wanted to play his game his way you were doomed from the start, right? I think as a GM, you can't have expectations of your players. You can have hopes. You can have dreams. You you can wish upon a star about what your players are going to do. But your players are not going to do those things. I'm so sorry. And it, the moment you put a puzzle in your game, be prepared for your, your players to think 16 times outside the box and like ultra 4D chess to sort of like janky ass solve it like <laughs> there's they're never gonna be i don't know if i've ever seen a uh, a group of players my, myself included solve a, a, a puzzle and especially like a, a dungeon puzzle or something like that in a way that the gm has intended right the way they expected it just doesn't happen <laughs> it, it actually one of my one of my favorite bits of advice i've ever heard i i i, I sometimes use it don't write solutions for puzzles because the players are going to figure them out and you're going to, it's sort of, you're the arbiter of like, yeah, that makes sense. That's yeah. more, of course, have an Absolutely. intent. That's right, fantastic obviously. advice. But like there, people are so much more creative than just you, the individual, because they're a collective. There's never one answer to one thing. 
if you let them, they'll think circles around you. And as long as you're okay with that, you're, you just kind of be like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool what you did there. I love that, right? You you have to, if you don't encourage creativity, you're, you're, you're strangling your own game, right? You're, you definitely need that from your players because if your players are creative and it works, they're going to they're going to love that. They're going to be like I had a big brain play today. Like it's it's like when you go to an escape room or if you're doing like a, even if you're doing like a crossword or a sudoku or something and you 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 know, you you find that that way to solve it, you get that little dopamine hit. And you want to give your players that. And there's no reason you shouldn't if it's legitimately like a good idea, even and especially if it's something you didn't think of as a GM. See, that's the thing. There has to be that willingness to let your players kind of, as we've been talking about, let your players craft your world for you. Yes. And Stop doing <laughs> so much work. Mm-hmm. And because and w- without, without that malleability that a DM needs to have, you're just going to end up with your players hating you. And that's kind of the the situation that I had going on with one of my games. And that's that's such a good story, Darcy, because it really illustrates that when he takes you aside and he's just like, you're not playing the way I want you to play, basically, right? That he's feeling bad, you're feeling bad, and no, yeah, nobody's happy at all here in this situation, right? It's not like the GM wins. He he doesn't right like he's still not getting what he wants. You're not getting what you want, and it all comes back to to that expectation thing where he didn't set the expectations that he very clearly wanted a very structured game in a certain vein, but neglected to tell you that. That's one of the things that I, I always try and do, even before the players have have said yes, I will absolutely play in this game, is to give them a very clear intent on on what the game is. Because a lot of my games are very down-to-earth, so there's a certain level of silliness that just doesn't work, right? There's there's a certain level of fantasy that just doesn't... It doesn't make for an immersive game experience. That being said, I want, within this framework, my characters to have as much freedom as possible. So it is a little bit of a juggling act, but as long as people have a clear idea of what they've signed up for and they're into that idea, you're not going to run into problems because they are going to make characters that will make decisions that don't break your game. I think. (laughs) Honestly, it's kind of like the rules of improv. The whole yes and concept. Oh, yes and. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a better gamer or GM, take an improv class. I swear to God, it is... I credit it for all of the good ideas I've ever had and and the way that I run games and running enjoyable games, take an improv class. You can find them. Local theater troops do them all the time, I think, or like, you know, you'll even find them in theaters. Yeah. They're super fun. They're very nerdy and uh, you will become a better, a better GM or player out of it. Even if you don't necessarily like improv, like it'll still help you in the long run. Just have the fundamentals down. All right, guys, we've got a dead game on our hands here, right? Uh, so I, I started a game, let's call it um, uh, Dungeons and Dummies, uh, where we all played uh, the crash test dummies from, from those old uh, television ads. And uh, we, were, we were clearing dungeons, and uh, I thought it'd be really cool because, you know, your arm gets cut off, you just pop it back on and stuff. But uh, either due to, to player engagement or due to 
scheduling, you know, Dylan works 43 hours a day. It's, it's hard for him to, to have time. Uh, we've, we've stalled out a bit, right? We, we had our first two sessions and uh Oh, like the time's creeping up. It's, it's been a couple months. How can you resuscitate a dead game? Should you resuscitate a dead game? And how would you go about doing this? So, I mean, we could have used some real life examples there. Obviously we've said some, but what are are your thoughts on, is there, is there a time when should you let go and when should you hold on? I guess is, is the thing. And Dylan, because you, you have strong opinions and you are the most tenacious GM I've ever seen. What would, when would you cut that cord finally? Cause I know you're stubborn. Can I answer truthfully? Yeah. Never. <laughs> Dungeons and Dummies is not some fucking second wind goddamn little like silly game, all right? It's here to stay, and we're getting through this. We're getting through this when our mannequins are torn to sunder, and they're the last little bits of fluff, and uh, what's, what's the dummy equivalent of sinew and bones? Wood? Like rubber? Plastic? Rubber? Rub- yeah, wood. Sure. Yeah. Ballistic gel <laughs> at <going>. times? <laughs> It's never going unless the players don't want to do it. Okay. To, to have a game go on at all from being dead, you need both parties. Of course, I'm never going to quit, but maybe you would, right? You as in the collective, everyone else but me. <laughs> or the players don't want to do it. And if, if one side, and I, I, when I say players, I mean the majority of players, even maybe even all of them. If they don't want to do it, tough luck you can't you can't really persuade people that much if they don't want to spend their time doing it and if you the gm that's not me say like well i tried and maybe i didn't like it or like maybe i take it as a learning lesson at that point if you're both not on board you can't go through with it but if you are and i know you are because you can do it and you and you the player you want to see how this goes through just think how much fun it will be well then you play when you can. Say it's a scheduling thing. Like I've said before, you got to keep the show moving. Got to keep the ball rolling. And if you, you leave it there to rot, well, look at that. It's rotting. Who would have who thunked? Uh-oh. Or maybe it's an engagement thing. Well, let's talk to the players. Be transparent with them. What is it that you're not engaged with with my dummies? Huh? They're interesting. They're cool. No, be open. Why aren't you having fun? What can I do to alleviate that? And typically there is a reason. Typically it is something, oh, I don't know, man, your system for lobbing off limbs is just kind of like, it's tedious. Like, it just makes me feel like I'm failing all the time. Okay, well, we can, we can remedy that. We can work on it. What would you think would be a good idea? And, you know, you go that back and forth with each other. Uh, Dungeons and Dummies can live. It will live. And it will always live. And you always have to try. Unless, of course, both parties don't want to. And in which case... You lose. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately... That's well said. Yeah. That's ultimately, that's there's not really much of a better answer for that. Um, if the players are uninterested, there's nothing you can do about it. But you got to ask at that point. Just be like, hey, would you still be willing to continue even though it's been months at this point? We're... We... we I really lo- had fun with this Dungeons and Dummies game. Did you feel the same way? 
and you kind of have to egg them on to be honest because some people some people will just say half-heartedly like yeah yeah it was okay and they would still continue to play even though they're not really interested you gotta kind of pry a little bit on that well people want to be polite right and it's and true i think like if i was in a game and it was it was a slog it wasn't going I'm still I'm not going to come right out to the to the GM and be like, oh, this sucks. Right. I, I do want him to approach me like I, I love it when people ask for feedback because that gives you a bit of an in. But at the same time, especially if you know someone's put their heart and soul into a game, you gonna be like, oh, this is trash. This is trash. You're trash. Right. Like <laughs> you, most people aren't going to want to do that. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. And Dylan, I really do think you, you've kind of nailed it on this one. Like so many of our our topics here it comes down to communication right saying it because sometimes and I, I i i'm guilty of this i think probably more than anyone else and that is if i haven't played in a couple months right or if, if life got in the way and you know we were in we were started a game but it just wasn't working i'm probably the first to let the game go and what I should be doing is talking to my players and, and just making sure that they're not like, oh, man, like I can't wait. Like, man, I hope we can get back to this, because if they are like that, then there's no reason for me to be like, oh, well, better luck next time type of thing. So, yeah, I think I've learned something here today, too, which is which is nice. Part half of the point of this show for us to learn stuff. Yeah, yeah. And just to add on with it, maybe not everybody's on board with wanting to come back to it. And at that point, like, as long as there is interest, as Dylan has alluded to, like, you can keep going, even if you have to leave behind some players entirely and just kind of unceremoniously kill them off. because Dungeons and Dummies not- will live. <laughs> and oh your masses. compatriot has been blown to smithereens and there's nothing you could do to fix it it's no, like no. fiery wreck <laughs> yeah, one of those dummies in those cars that go straight into a oh, wall yeah. God. she wasn't wearing a seatbelt oh surprise yeah, first rule of being yeah, a dummy yeah. <laughs> yeah. you gotta put your seatbelt on alright well I, this is this is really good I do want to move on to our challenge because we got a really interesting challenge today but before we do that Either of you two gentlemen uh, have any other points regarding our uh, games dying young? Was there any other causes that you've seen that maybe we didn't cover today or any uh, any final thoughts that you had on it? I wanted to touch particularly on like reviving a dead game. Say it's been a few months like and because I've actually had this happen to me and Dylan, no doubt. That's happening to him currently. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of, like, reviving a dead game, I wanted to touch on, like, some ways that you could do that as opposed to, like, yes, making sure that your players are still engaged, but when it comes to the actual game, do you do you pick up exactly where you left off? Do people even remember that still? Do people... Uh, or do you, like, go somewhere else entirely, have a bit of a time skip? This was actually something that uh, I asked Dylan with advice for. Uh, and, like, to have him say, like, maybe people don't remember 
where you last left off if it's been a few months. You don't always have the vapid note-taker, and sometimes even the note-taker's confused on that. Um, maybe the note-taker's uh, notes were in that car wreck, and, <laughs> oh no, it, it just... It happens to the best of us. Whoosh, there they go. Um, so, like, I'd say, like, I wanted to just say this, like, a great way to... And I actually did this, and it was actually such a breath of fresh air for the players on this, was just to, like, if you don't think they'll remember, like, maybe it's best to, like, skip ahead a little bit and, like, have them meet up at some place else entirely. And, like, sure, if you're in the middle of a dungeon, that could be a little bit hard, but, hey, maybe, like... Maybe you could find a way around that. Maybe, like, your dungeon crawl didn't work out. Maybe it did. And it, it was off-screen. Who knows? But you, uh, that's something I urge people to do. Uh, and don't be afraid to do that. You don't actually have to pick up exactly where you left off. Because sometimes you might just not remember. Speaking of picking up after a long game, if you've lost a player in that time, mm. which is something I can say for Sanguine Ordeal, in which uh, our Fozzie is gone. And it's perfect because uh, you guys were just at the... I do intend, by the way, to pick up exactly where you left off with a full recap. Uh, mainly because it kind of goes into a little bit of a... There's a dramatic moment to it that kind of has a little bit of a little bit of a twisty turny to it. This is right before a major plot point. I it, understand. It's, it's that. a whole, it's an interesting hook, it, it, and mm-hmm. you'll kind of a lot of it comes flooding back to you, especially when you hit on those key notes of like what you were going for when telling this story with those players, you know, oh, lycanthropy, oh, you know, uh, city mystery, oh, undercity, question mark, right? Uh, and it's kind of, I can use that as, a, as an excuse, this sort of big moment to help Exodus, the missing, the missing player and their character, away. And uh, there's, you know, everyone at the table is kind of like, yeah, that person's gone, so we're not going to really pursue it because, you know, it's the, the the illusion of the game. The player's not at the table. We can't help it. That's it. Bye-bye. And that's tough, but, like, there's, yeah, there is ways to get around it. And it's just a matter of, like, finding that way to start that back up. So I, I, that's just something I wanted to say on that because I thought it was worth yeah. bringing up. It absolutely is, and I remember I asked it as part of that very long-winded three-part question that you absolutely should never do when you're uh, <laughs> yeah, like making a podcast. Yeah, apparently I've never done this before. Of interviews, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely, Aaron would be furious with me. Now, <laughs> that was a great, a great point, though, Darcy, and maybe even... What I was thinking while you guys were talking there is if you were in the middle of a dungeon, if you were in the middle of some weird adventure, maybe you all do meet back up at a tavern or wherever. Maybe you don't have any idea. Maybe the last thing you remember was being on that adventure and now you're filling in the missing pieces and suddenly it's a plot point, right? Now suddenly it's a, it's a whole thing. You're just like, well, what what happened to us? Sudden amnesia! And maybe, Yes! Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's a classic plot point, right? It's a whole trope in itself, but it's a trope because it, it works sometimes. Sometimes it's a lot of fun to be like, wait, why is it several months later now? What have we been doing? 
right? And maybe maybe they ran into some mind flayers and they've been under control for and they just broke free and now they have no idea. They don't remember the last few months. So you can do so much with it. And yeah, that's a it's actually a great way to finish off this discussion. All right, guys, I think what we're going to do is take a little break. And then when we come back, we have a challenge that is all about death. So we will see you in just a moment. Do you like stabbing the stand with a hunting knife while side-eyeing the wife of your stocky? Do you like sabotaging water slides to avenge your son? Have you or any of your co-workers incited criminal arson upon your person? Are you torn between two worlds, e.g. the life of a lawyer and that of a lifeguard? Then we implore you to listen to these curated clips. Take her under your wing. Guide her. Show her the way. See, the great lady's always been my mistress. Trevor Cole, shark fighter and virgin converter. Hey, you'll pass up one victim for another one. Not in my water or anywhere. You got that? Craig, why are you doing this to me? Damn it, now stop it. The poem? Tell me the poem. Like what? Like a power ski, man. If any of this or that was appealing to you, then you might be Baywatched. Coming September 25th to the Vox Crow Network. Are you challenging me? You challenge me, Marvel. It's really hard. The challenge. Are you up for it? Welcome back. It's challenge time. Our challenge was written by yours truly this week. It is called Ruled by Death. And this one is a little bit different than the challenges we've done so far on the show. This is a location challenge. So... I challenged us all to create a location for the for use in any setting. This can be anything from a house to a whole continent, and it must follow the following conditions. Number one, it must have once been home to intelligent life. Two, that life must have died in some dramatic fashion. Three, the energies of death must still linger in this place. Four, there must be some reason for the party or a a group of people to venture into this place. And five, there must be great danger lurking within. So I'm super excited to see what you guys have come up with this one. I think we've all got something uh, a little bit extra this this week. So I'm, I'm excited for that. And uh, I am going to kick us off here. And uh, so this one, I went for a traditional fantasy setting. And this is actually an excerpt from A Traveler's Guide to the Old Empire, Volume 3 by Marcus Verus. Of all the many ruins and artifacts of the Old Empire, surely the most stunning and sinister must be the city of Everpeak. Wedged at the eastern entrance to Gollan's Pass, the city guarded the largest and safest path through the giant's crown mountains. The city was a bastion that proclaimed the glory and reach of the old empire. It is said that no army ever dared lay siege to its mighty walls, and not even the fearsome frost drakes of the mountains would dare fly within a mile of its towering spires. When the old empire fell during the War of the False Prophet, Everpeak endured. The might of its defenses and location as a gateway to the west ensured that even without the support of the rest of the empire, it could continue as a powerful city-state. Perhaps in time it would have become a great kingdom in its own right, or the seat of a reborn empire. Sadly, fate had other plans. It is here where details become troublesome. What little we know are from the scant records scavenged from the ruins of Everpeak. 
I shall endeavor to stick to what little facts we are confident in, and leave aside those legends that have grown amongst the many who now dwell in the shadow of the cursed city. Within the ruling council of Everpeak, there were several magi. Each was a master of his chosen school of study. The magi on the council often fell into argument with the civilian leadership, those counselors drawn from the merchant, military, or great houses. Claudio Arulius was the greatest of the magi at this time, and though a natural leader, had a fiery temper and singular vision. When the capital of the old empire burned in the fires of the final battle of the war, it was Claudio that convinced the council that Everpeak must look to its own survival and not waste its strength trying to support a collapsed system. In the months following the collapse, the infighting in the council only grew more raucous. The Magi had fallen in line behind Aurelius, and they had won more political power as a result. The fractured civilian councillors saw their influence in rapid decline. But, like the old empire before it, much of the politics of Everpeak took place in the shadows. A plot was hatched to assassinate the Magi on the council. The politicians spared no expense or effort in this task, for they greatly feared the retribution of the spellcasters. In one blood-soaked night, the Magi were dispatched, with blade, poison, or crossbow bolts in the neck. Each was killed and disposed of, all except Claudio Aurelius, who could not be found, but was thought to have fled. When the council met that next week, the seats of the Magi were conspicuously empty. Before the politicians could begin their session, however, a great tear in the fabric of reality opened in the middle of their marble chamber. Claudio Aurelius stepped out, holding a swirling globe. He looked about the chamber and at the shocked councillors. He then saw the empty seats, where his colleagues should have been. It is at this point that myth and legend filter into our story. Some say that he knew in an instant, by the guilt in the souls of the politicians. Others say that he flew into a rage and used his sorcery to force the truth from them. There are tales that have him immediately attacked by assassins hidden in the chamber. Wherever the truth lies, the facts are that he cursed them that day and cursed the city that they ruled. Everpeak died that day, and the effects of the dread curse are still strong these two centuries later. Any who linger within the walls of Everpeak will age at a tremendous rate. No soul who has lingered within the city for an hour has ever survived. It matters not if they are a child or a crone. Whatever years of their life remain will be siphoned away in one hour. However, should a person exit the city before the terminal one-hour mark, their years and strength will return to them. The strange curse of Everpeak has resulted in an odd economy springing up around the ruins, centered in the town of Gateshead, which sits just outside the former main entryway of the city. There lives the odd folk who make a living guiding travelers seeking to pass west through the cursed city as quickly as possible. Also amongst the population are the treasure hunters, who seek to plunder the ancient wealth of the city. Both professions come with great danger, for should they get lost or trapped within the ruins or become too weak to return, they will be doomed to join the crumbled dead that are the city's only true residents. Though breathtaking from afar, it is very unwise to enter the cursed city. If you should have the misfortune of needing to travel through Everpeak, hire a guide that will stick to the main roads. 
The city is remarkably well preserved, except that no plants or animals live within. It is as quiet a place as ever has existed, save for the occasional wind blowing through the empty streets. As a final thought, try not to breathe in the dust. It is all that remains of the people of Everpeak. So that is my little place. Um, I love things that have like locations that have time constraints like that. It makes it so much more mysterious. Like, what can I find within this hour? I love that so much. I think you could have a lot of fun having that as a place, either to to set a game kind of around. Because I think it'd be having cool having characters being scavengers in this in this city. Every time they come out of the city, they're like eighty years old, and then eventually, like the, the they gradually become younger again, and then they you know they go with their their little hoard of treasure that they found, or have them work as guides, or just a neat kind of like the party is traveling across the continent. This is yeah, this is the one pass through these mountains. They've got to do this. Do they get lured in by the, you know, by the the tales of treasure or do they just get through it as quickly as possible? Or are there spirits lurking in the city that try and tempt them astray? And yeah, you could do so much with it. So I, I had a lot of fun with it's that something one. that you have to it's something that you have to strategize about even just going in there. Uh, I'm just saying you have to do like careful preparation in order to even attempt to go in there and i love that yeah and my my thought too was to have if you were running it as uh you know part of a game or or even just you know as a, as like a one off little set piece for for your players is to have something like a like a big sand timer or or even even a digital timer right and that you you start and just kind of make their their heart rate go a little bit faster and being like okay we need to we need to hurry up through here right so um yeah so i i had a lot of fun with that one and I, I think it's a it's a cool place and I actually ended up doing a lot of world building uh, around making it because I, as soon as I thought of the the hook for this city this city where time flows wrong I was just like okay why did it become like this okay what was this old empire okay why isn't it still around and it just cascades right now I have a little world that it inhabits so yeah it could be um, a whole yeah, thing don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever do anything with it but I, I really enjoyed it um, I'm very proud of you, Nathan. Aww. Mr. Mr. Always, always a normal world. <laughs> fantasy. Fan- this is yeah, high yeah. fantasy stuff, this man. This is high fantasy stuff. So this is gold. City of Everpeak. And the the what? The Gallons Pass? Gallons Pass, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I was taking notes. Cause I, I was okay. thoroughly into this. Oh, thanks, Absolutely. Guys. There's so much stuff to uncover with that. I love it. Well, uh, who is our, our middle child today? Darcy, that was you, right? Yeah. Yeah, the middle child being the middle child. Who would have no. thought? <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy, hit us up. What do, you, what do we got? All right. So I have here but a letter to one's child. To my dearest child, if you are reading this, chances are I'm either in a dire situation or no longer of this world. I'm sorry I couldn't continue to be in your life. But I wanted to make it up to you by sharing my findings with you. Findings of a world forgotten by both time and magic. Sile, the Forbidden Continent. We all know its name, but not what befell it. And that lack of knowledge has unnerved me for so long. How could a whole continent be so devoid of life to be rendered uninhabitable 
and one of its properties that make it a magical dead zone. Not a trace of any magic in the air, forcing extensive preparation for explorers in order to even survive. But why? What could have possibly salted the very fabric of nature in an entire continent? And why aren't we allowed to explore it? These questions plagued me, so I risked my life and set out to find the answer. And what I found unnerved me even more. On my travels, I went through several towns, each one the same as the last. Astounding works of architecture, the likes of which are unheard of in our own homeland, worn down only by time, but otherwise no signs of inhabitants whatsoever. Not even any corpses, bones, or even fossils. It's as if the denizens simply disappeared, and only the structures were left behind. As I progressed, I began to find scars in the land, deep scars reaching far underground. And it's there that I found my answer to what caused this continent's downfall. It was some sort of physical weapon, a terrible weapon that robbed the life force of every living thing in its vicinity, as well as all magic around it. And I had found its resting place. Well, part of it anyways. It appeared to be shattered. Perhaps its parts had been scattered across the continent. I don't know, but it seemed to have an effect on the very earth itself, producing strange ores and stones I had never seen before, as well as other things that shouldn't exist in this world. The scars left in the now frozen continent appear to have given birth to terrible creatures of unspeakable nature, creatures that live off the miasma that lingers in the air and devours all forms of magic within these borders. I doubt I'll make it back alive, but I hope above all else that this letter survives. There are so many questions I need answers to. Who made this weapon? Why was it used? What would happen if it were reassembled? And worst of all, how many other people know about this? I may not know you as well as I would have hoped, but I implore you to find me or whatever remains of me. I've left something for you in a place marked by a yellow flag. If you want additional incentives for companions, there are plenty. Unsolved mysteries, dangerous perils of unknown origin, valuable treasures ripe for the picking, it's all there. So why don't we know about it? Above all else, I wanted you to know that I love you very much. And though it's been far too long... I'm proud of the person you've become. And I'm sorry I couldn't see it with my own eyes. Nice. So that was a whole campaign setting with multiple, like, full hooks for, like, things that could span an entire campaign. Exactly. I got, <laughs> I got 
like very, I got uh, very large with this one. I went, <laughs> this could be a whole setting in itself. Um, I wanted to essentially create a world, uh, create like this campaign where like magic was sparse. If you wanted to have magic, if you wanted to like use magic in any capacity, you would have to like, prepare it beforehand be it in like a potion or like in a scroll like conserve your magic like as much as you can on that because once you go in the only way to get that back is by going out so it would involve like extensive preparations for things and you could find like cool ores and whatnot that you could use to craft like weapons that could dis that could kill the denizens of this place that are born from its destruction. What happened to it? Who knows? But there's treasures abound and there's so many things that you could do with that. And I wanted to, I wanted to, that's what I was going for with this whole, with this whole thing. Can I get a, can I get a spelling on Sile? Oh yeah. Um, so it's uh, S-Y-L-E. Oh, so close. I had, I had S-Y-L. Oh, <laughs> That was pretty close, yeah. Dude. I'm eating. I'm eating great tonight. You guys are feeding me with all these these mage and magic settings and ideas. <laughs> yeah, I I want to, this is something I actually want to run as a campaign at some point in time because I feel like it could be it could be so many different things. <laughs> I I love the setting of lost lost super weapons of forgotten ages because it, it it adds a little bit of sci-fi to your fantasy right it, it mixes that 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 peanut butter and that chocolate a little bit i i once had a character in a game who was he was basically a, a man out of time like he was he had been uh he was part of this ancient civilization and was basically the, the, this place tore itself apart because they had gotten to the point where they had these basically weapons of mass destruction. Um, he had been irradiated and he was basically the last of his civilization. He was, he was basically human, but just a little bit different than, than the humans of this setting. And he was the one that he, he was the only person that remembered this world that had come before an apocalypse. And then of course life returns. And his whole goal was just to find whatever, remained of his civilization and destroy it before anyone else could use it again um i love shit like that i think it's so cool i, I think it's it gives such interesting motivations and um or even allows parties to be like to fall into the hubris where you give them su super cool toys to play with and they don't know what kind of damage they're capable of and oh yeah you can do so much with that it's it's great it's great i love that setting darcy thank you <laughs> All right, Dylan Joseph Campbell, you've been eating well. It's time to feed us, buddy. Yeah, what you got? Um, it's It seems like we all kind of went for a same sort of fantasy vibe, of course. I am no different. I wrote this. Uh, this is sort of like a, a lament, if you will. Ooh, okay. Um, and I, I, I had an ire in my setting in mind with it, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I'll actually use it. It was fun, and I'll see what you guys think. The song of Amator sings of his hand, now lost to the sharing sands. We welcome the night in loss of song. We welcome the day in remembrance of kin. 
We mourn the death of twilight long, and mourn once more for likeness within. Before it was buried beneath miles of gloom and glass, the sharing sands teemed with kindness, a great stretch of sandy dunes most would consider entirely inhospitable, was made worthwhile all thanks to the divine efforts of the Shining Hand Monastery. These religious monks followed the gentle teachings of Amator, god of the rising light and healing hand. They established a most fruitful of trade routes from neighboring settlements across the fair sands for simply as means of challenging themselves and living up to their dogma. Go forth into this world and bring life where illumination is required and nurture the land where development is soon to come. The sharing sands under the care of the monastery soon became more than just that of a dull desert. It was their caring arms which raised an oasis from nothing and a thriving market from dirt. The monks on a whole were a selfless folk, but that didn't stop travelers from visiting their resplendent shining hand and paying tribute to that which brought such vibrance and riches. But every day ends in a sunset. Only the charred remains of the monks can truly know the whole story, for from an outsider's perspective, the Shining Hand Monastery was engulfed in a light rivaling that of the rising sun. A flashed, distant sages swear they witness from the far coast, an embrace so pure, so concentrated, the sharing sands themselves ignited and were blown away to glass. All of their hard work fostering a kind land. Gone. Today, tales tell of the sharing sands is buried beneath gloom and glass the sky is covered in a constant followed of dust and shade web-like structures of glass span from columns made of blasted black rock where the sun never shines the only inhabitants of the sands now are revenants and wayward souls trapped to ever wandered the grain of gritty sand those of the living that attempt to brave the sand without light soon meet a similar fate to that of the Shining Hand Monastery. They combust into a dazzling death throes where the last bit of mortal life is wicked away in a burst of light. But, out of all of these tales surrounding the Sharing Sands, one remains a bastion of faith and light. The Song of Amator sings of his hand, now lost to the Sharing Sands. The aforementioned poem uh, of the Sharing Sands and the song of Amator in his hand is a relic within the monastery that still stands, a shadow of itself, that essentially travelers can seek out this song, this hand, whatever it is, and in using it, restore the blasted place to its former light, bring back whatever it was, or maybe unleash something worse. Ooh. That's a risk they might have to take to gain back a part of the kind world that was taken away so suddenly mm -hmm. without warning. And so mysteriously on that, too. I, I want to know what, what caused this. And, like, just the, just the image of, like, a glass desert is super appealing to me. You wouldn't expect 
such a thing to happen in a desert. And just seeing that glass, it's, it's kind of dreadfully beautiful, if that makes sense. I actually, I based this, I sort of, what I wanted to do for this is I wanted to, because I'm a very image-based thing, I wanted to just find a picture of something and just run with it. Okay. And just go nuts. Oh, and, okay. And like, well, here you go. And I mean, you guys are privy. This is kind of, I did this ages ago, if you remember. Uh, you guys are obviously privy to this. Uh, and if there's some way we can get that out there, then that's perfect. But Oh, Oh, okay. that's yep. so cool. That is really neat. All right. Yeah, that's that's that is a blasted kind of desert sandscape with a, a, a light off in the distance there. That would be for for the right uh, for the right party. I think that would be a uh, a siren song. They probably couldn't resist. I, I think that's a great uh, adventure hook. I'm always a big fan of your prose. I think that's uh, honestly really does set the mood. Ending it with like a rhyming couplet on that is just, mm, I love it so much on that. We had a we had a we had a city, a continent, and a region. Yeah, we had all scopes of this. <laughs> we yeah. really did. The only thing we didn't get that I thought we might get is like a classic haunted house. So we all we all went pretty big with our our locations, and uh, they're all great. I declare mm-hmm. us all to be the winner. Not that we usually Hells have yeah. a winner, but I declare us to be the winners <laughs> of, of this the question, challenge. The question always remains, mm-hmm. would they get along? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> I mean, they clearly could because, I, I mean, honestly, the the travelers could, could travel through Everpeak going into the east to try and find the lost continent but perhaps beyond Everpeak is this this desert region, right? Like, you could you could go bam, 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 one after the other. Trying you could. To, uh, yeah, yeah. So this could all <laughs> easily exist in, in, in the same game. Um, and especially where there's, obviously there's magic in whatever continent Everpeak is in, but maybe that is such a thing where uh, in Darcy's in Darcy's continent, right? That that does make it such a, an oddity that you can't, you can't do magic there properly. So, um, and yeah, and maybe, maybe some kind of super weapon has some kind of link to this, uh, this destroyed desert in some way, right? Maybe Perhaps. there's, Sounds there's some the kind of brilliant flash could... of light could very yeah. well have just, uh, yeah. never know. <laughs> yeah. Never know what those monks were up to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, this was awesome. I loved all of those. This has been an incredible episode maybe maybe our best episode so far i i would like to i would like to say that is my conceit anyway but uh, as always folks if you see anything you like in our challenges in our ideas uh these are all ocs please steal just just gobble them right up and and change them don't change them just use them we'd love for you to do that tell us how you use them too we would love that even more and uh yes that's gonna do it for us this time Uh, Until next time, uh, keep on rolling, baby. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to share the show with your friends, family, and that eldritch horror lurking just out of sight. You can connect with playing the role on Facebook to see upcoming challenges and news. 